You're listening to A Week in Wireless by Telecoms.com, the podcast dedicated to everything and anything going on in the telecoms biz. On today's A Week in Wireless, Telefonica explains why it won't be rushed into 5G. CEM, customer experience management or cause of extreme melancholy. We're also covering M&A madness and why people aren't bothered about wearables. I'm joined by Scott Bacchano and we're going to be going through it all. Do you want to join the argument? Tweet us at Telecoms. Hello all and welcome to today's brand new podcast from telecoms.com. This is A Week in Wireless and uh, my name is Tim Skinner. Joining me today is editorial director here at telecoms.com, Scott Bicheno. So, first thing we're going to talk about today, Scott, is what's the rush for 5G? Um, We recently ran a piece, uh, an in-depth interview with Telefonica, where someone in their CTO office basically told us that they're not going to be rushing just to reach 5G. But that goes against some of the things that we have been seeing in the industry over the last two years or so, let's say, as everyone clamours for 5G. So, So why don't you tell me, why is everyone so eager to get on the bandwagon? Okay, well, as you know, us journalists, we, we get tens, arguably even hundreds of press releases a day, and, and I reckon probably at least half of them have already got 5G in them. <laughs> so I reckon the first bit is just marketing, and this, this happened with 4G and 3G as well. Mm. If, you're trying to, if you're trying to sell um, some kind of telecommunications product, you, know, you want to be selling the next big thing. Mm. So pretty much as soon as 4G came along, everyone's like, right, 5G. And we've seen that with, you know, informer events. They've got rebranded to 5G and so on. So I reckon that's what the hurry is, mm-hmm. is uh, it's, it's commercial pressure. But then, you know, the, the other one is just what you seem to be up with the times, wanting to be seen to be uh, contemporary, to be cutting edge, all that sort of thing. What about you? I, I feel there's a level of pressure on operators. You know, as you mentioned, this next big thing, it was... 3G, then 4G, and now it's 5G. And if it's not, um, if it's not G's, it's devices. It's the next phone. It's the newest model. It's a bigger screen. It's a faster processor. Uh, so I think telcos in general are, are bound by this. This needs to have the next best thing. Um, and this interview with with Telefonica, I spoke with a gentleman named uh, Ignacio Berberana. I think I got the pronunciation Sounds correct. Spot on there. to me. Oh, you know, I'm very continental. <laughs> uh, he is an innovation manager. Um, in the global CTO team. So we had this interview, we spoke for a good sort of 30, 40 minutes uh, about all the challenges. It was a really refreshing piece um, to, to write and to hear and hear these pieces, um, his points of view rather. Um, and in this, yes, he he basically said that the, the timescales to get to 5G, he doesn't think are practical. Right. And he says that this is reflective of the Telefonica group in general and that the early phase rollouts of 2018 or 2019 are something that doesn't really interest him. Um, He did touch upon some of the technical challenges, and we'll go into this in a little bit of detail, but we don't want to get bogged down in the really heavy technical stuff, Uh, and I'm sure there are plenty more qualified people to go into (laughs) such technicalities. Um, But he did say that some of the areas that they're looking to focus on um, are mainly around... um, coverage in urban areas and that is one of the big challenges that yep. we've seen with 5G um, and so he, he suggests that, that backhaul is probably one of the biggest challenges uh, and and from your perspective then what do you what do you see and what have you seen as one of the primary okay. sort of 5G challenges I, I had a lot of as you might imagine at World War Congress earlier on this year I had a lot of these conversations and I came away with it I came away from those conversations realising that 
perhaps for the first time, there are two very distinct sort of forks, two very distinct use cases that 5G has to fulfil well. Whereas, and the first one's the the evolution of sort of 2G, 3G, 4G, which is basically faster, mm-hmm. uh, specifically with data. You know, 4G was the first to be sort of almost designed for data, um, but 5G needs to be designed for like a zillion times more data than before. So everyone's going, how are we going to achieve this? massive order of magnitude greater data throughput mm-hmm. um, and you know physics starts to kick in there's only so much you can sort of shove through a, a given little bit of spectrum and you start getting into some sort of techniques like sort of full duplex and and massive MIMO and, and just having lots of parallel streams so they're going to have to try lots of these things they're going to have to move a lot of stuff over into um, unlicensed higher frequencies because that's the only place there's there's the spectrum real estate mm-hmm. to to have all this extra bandwidth so so they've got to get this they've got to get this speeds and feeds thing but at the same time there's the iot support mm-hmm. uh which is quite a different challenge because iot you know a, a tiny little sensor embedded in some some little bit of machinery needs a minute amount of bandwidth mm-hmm. you know it's, it's the opposite end of the scale but there's going to be zillions of those little sensors all all bleeping their bits of data um, and what and that's got to get into the cloud and then it's got to be processed in the cloud and then sent back to them so that they can enact mm. whatever clever thing has been decided for them by by IoT as it as it evolves. So it's got to be super fast and supporting IoT mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of these um a lot of these challenges are coming from. And that's where I I completely agree with Telefonica. You know, what's the point in rushing it just so that your marketing guy can stick 5G in his next ad campaign when you haven't even worked out how it's going to fulfill either or both of those things mm. and there aren't necessarily the devices or handsets or modems to support it and oh, all this right. sort of thing that won't stop it happening it will happen people are going to go i can remember one company who i won't name calling hspa plus 4g but it wasn't mm-hmm. even basic lte uh but they still called that 4g and it will happen. Someone will call something 5G, which just frankly isn't. Mm-hmm. And then that will start a sort of land grab, and everyone will be calling everything 5G. <laughs> we'll probably have 5G cereal in the morning or something. <laughs> um, so, but yes, on the whole, you know, back to your interview with Telefonica, you know, he's completely right, and it's brave of him to say that when the easy thing to say is, yes, we're going to be doing 5G tomorrow or whatever. Mm. Yes, yeah, quite. And and the point that you made there about, about speeds and this this sort of, Evolution to having this technology that can deliver large speeds, but it's about far more than just being a big pipe speeds and feeds kind of job. Um, you know, we're already seeing operators in in Asia, the one in Europe, sort of already claiming speeds of more than a gigabit per second, which is more than I can possibly fathom here in my relatively so speed central London office. Yeah, um, more than I get my broadband. <laughs> quite. And uh, and he actually said, well, realistically, I don't think in an urban area you're going to have any more than three to 400 megabits per second, which is still worlds apart from where mm-hmm. we are now. Um, but it just shows, it's, it's, it is really refreshing to see a really sort of tempered and modest and, and, and measured approach to this without yeah. getting all ahead of ourselves. Um, so anyway, so that is uh, an interview that's on telecoms.com right now. Um, but let's move on, shall we? Uh, the second topic up for discussion today is uh, CEM. And uh, and what we've seen recently, uh, I ran with the, the provisional title Customer Experience Management or Cause of Extreme Melancholy. Right. How about that? <laughs> um, and so that's as, as Vodafone released um, a statement earlier um, last week, I believe yep. it was, 
um, saying that um, that basically they've had a bit of a hiccup with their yeah. with their billing system. Uh, and funnily enough, as Nokia also then felt obliged to state that churn comes down to customers' experience, which I think we we were largely aware of in the yeah. first place. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts about what's happening with Vodafone? Because this has been a bit of an ongoing thing for the last sort of six months or so. Um, yeah, at least that. I mean, I think, you know, Ofcom's looking into it and, and their investigation, I think, even starts back as far as 2014. Earlier um, than that, actually. Yeah. Was, yeah. Um, basically, they. I mean, their, their line is that they've done a really ambitious move um, to a new billing system, a new customer support system, a new whole customer support back end. Mm. Um and that's lead, led to some teething troubles. That's the sort of sympathetic way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. The the more um, indignant way of looking at it is that they've dropped the ball. Uh, and the truth, as ever, will lie somewhere in between. Um, it, mm-hmm. The only thing that surprised me when I was writing that story is that it's taken them as long as it has to resolve it. I think everyone right. drops a ball occasionally. Everyone, you know, things go wrong, whatever. Especially with big IT implementations. You know, that there's a, there's a rich history of them all going Pete Tong. Mm. But, uh, you know, for it to drag on for over a year um, strikes me as, uh, well, it's just surprising. And it's not doing them any good in terms of customer retention, ironically, right. that being the whole point well, quite. of the move. And it's not doing them much good for PR either. So, so yes, CEM is very important. Um, but don't implement a new CEM system that antagonises your customers. It's a bit of a bit of a pyrrhic victory. Well, quite. And and you know, it's obviously worth worth pointing out that that the whole customer experience is includes billing, but it's not the be all and end all. But yeah. you know, this is a major a major thing that's been coming up recently. And Ofcom has has basically threatened Vodafone with various proceedings due to billing inaccuracies and people being hit with with charges that were totally un- unnecessary. And then. Um, and then, and that's and that's just dragged on for for quite a while. Um, so, so what are your thoughts then um, on Vodafone? What do you think the future of this this saga will be? Um, and at what point can you see everything kind of getting back onto an even keel? It's probably it's probably coming to a close now. I'd say their biggest challenge now is more sort of PR because mm-hmm. the national press has been going with it. And the, the, what inspired the story I wrote um, recently was was Money Saving Expert, which is quite a well regarded sort of consumer advice site mm. saying check your bills and all that sort of thing you know so there'll be a lot of firefighting going on in, in Vodafone's PR department mm. but yeah hopefully for them um, the actual issues are resolved now it's just a matter of going yeah sorry about that mm. but everything's great now and well, moving on as uh, I think we focused on Vodafone enough for the time being as you mentioned they've been risen uh, risen up in stories PR and things like that um, so let's let's focus on another operator that's been having a few woes and that's Telstra um, oh, right, yeah. and and news today is that Telstra has suffered another outage yeah uh, and that is I believe the fourth this year uh, serious outage affecting tens of thousands if not more customers uh, and broadband outages for um for for several hours and this this follows uh, incidents earlier this year where it was you know the best part of a day where mm. people didn't have any mobile coverage whatsoever and this despite best efforts where they've drafted in uh, Cisco, Juniper, Ericsson and effectively given them a carte blanche I suppose yeah, sort um, out. yeah and, and, and they're still sort of coming up with these issues and it's a different kind of issue you know we're having, yeah. we're having sort of a monetary side of things and then also the, the total network reliability um, side of things as well yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know the specifics of, of why it's happened. I can only guess that there's some underlying 
fundamental technical flaw mm. that all these, as you say, all these sort of outsourced experts still haven't been able to permanently resolve. Mm. Uh, and again, you know, they will resolve it eventually. And, and the interesting thing about a lot of these things is how companies manage their PR. You know, we've had things like um, Talk Talk getting hacked mm. a little while ago. And it's really interesting, you know, as a journalist, as journalists, we we think a lot about PR because we, we have friends in, in PR, we receive a lot of press releases, all that sort of thing. And... Uh, it surprises me often how companies initially, let's say in the first 24 hours to 48 hours, blow it mm. as far as PR. I think they try and fudge it. They try and make out, they try and downplay it. And then when that fails, it sort of looks even worse mm. because then they get accused of trivialising a major thing. I reckon the best, honesty is the best policy. Just come out and go, let everyone, something's gone wrong. We're really sorry. We're, we're all over it. No one's going to, no one's going home tonight sort of thing. Mm. Um, and if they did that, they'd probably, they'd probably um, firefight a bit better than some of them do. Well, I think that, that draws into question also how much they know has happened, the extent of the damage Well, yeah, of the but that's even more damning away. if well, they don't know. Exactly, yes. And, and what you do see from this is, is this sizable financial dent that can, that can happen as a, as, a, as a result, whether that's shareholders being moody or whether it's customers taking their business elsewhere. I mean, the Tortog incident, we saw their their profits at their annual um, financial results fall by about 50%, yeah. as a res- largely as a result of this. I think they put it down to uh, extreme isolated expenditure, I think it yeah. was, or something to that extent. Yeah, one-offs. Um, well, quite, yeah, yeah. Um, so, hmm. Yes. Big problems. Indeed, hmm. indeed. So, we're going to take a very quick break, and we'll be back just after this with uh, a bit of more talk about M&A madness, what's going on in the world of merger and acquisitions, and also a bit of a debate about wearables. You're listening to A Week in Wireless by Telecoms.com, the podcast dedicated to everything and anything going on in the telecoms biz. Do you want to join the argument? Tweet us at Telecoms. Okay, welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. We are now, as promised, moving on to M&A madness. Um... Probably not quite as exciting as I made it out to sound, but you know, <laughs> let's talk about one of the biggest trends in the industry at the moment, Scott, mergers and acquisitions, industry consolidation. Um, so one of the things we saw last week were uh, operators from around the world kind of circling around the assets that might be dropped off by the Hutchison and Vimple Comitalian merger of Three and Wind. Um, supposedly there are as many as 5,000 radio masts and radio towers up for sale, as well as a bunch of Spectrum. Um, and then that could ostensibly create opportunity for a new market entrant, which would, I suppose, satisfy the European Commission. So the the Hutchison Vimplecom merger has been dragging on for what feels like a, an age. Yeah. Um, so let's actually get down to a bit more about what the precedent that has been set is in M and A land, and also what you think about um, the the landscape for this in general. Okay, um, so the. the- this is this is very much a sort of there's a distinct flavour of M and A in Europe because the European Commission gets a say over it. Um, there are areas in which the European Commission doesn't have a say. For example, BT buying EE, which seems to be waved through. When it does have a say, the tendency right now seems to be to block it. Um, the European Commission always insists that it hasn't got a, a hard number in mind in terms of the lum- number of proper mobile um, network operators that a country needs to have but in practice that number seems to be four yeah. and any time a country tries to bring it down to three it gets blocked 
And that's what happened in the UK with um, Hutchison and Telefonica or O2. Uh, and what a lot of people seem to think will happen in the one you were talking about in Italy. Um, you know, the reason you get this slight feeding frenzy around assets is sometimes the only way it looks like Europe will f- wave something through is if one or both of the uh, merging parties dispose of a bunch of assets, as you say, mm-hmm. to maybe create a, a new um, sort of challenger MNO. So, you know, people anticipate that happening. My my gut feel on, on that is probably a bit more that, that I think they probably should let... I think three is still enough. And I think there are distinct issues regarding investment, regarding how viable it is to be the fourth player in any market and make any money. Mm. Um, so my gut feel normally is that, but it's tempered by the fact that if you let companies get too big and let there be too little competition, history shows that they will start hoiking up prices and they will be less competitive. Mm. Um, but I think I think three, two, no, three, I can live with. <laughs> uh, okay, well, thank you, thank you for your thoughts there. And I think this this follows a number of of. Not necessarily decisions purely by the European Commission, but a precedent that has been set by the Commission where, you know, firstly the BTE merger went through just fine, but that's we know why that is. That's, yeah, and that was that's, a UK-only thing. That's UK-only, yeah. and, it's, and it's fixed and mobile, yeah. and, in, in which the number of operators wasn't reduced. Um, however, the O2 and the 3 in the UK deal was promptly vetoed, uh, despite the protestations of Hutchison and, and, yeah. and their employees. Um we also saw in in France, Orange has basically given up on any attempts to try and consolidate further. Um, statements so by say. their deputy yep. CEO said essentially they're not going to bother for a couple of years. Yep. Um, but then that also discussions between Orange and Bouygues over their their merger in France, whilst they fell apart due to the sort of minutiae of the de- of the discussions between each board and and what appeared to be a fundamental inability to just get on. Yeah. Um, it also seemed to fall under this shadow of, of regulation and do we even bother? Yeah. Um, so so to that extent, I mean, can you see there being further consolidation activity or at least attempts by operators to, to either grow through acquisition or enter new markets through acquisition? I don't see how Europe's going to let big markets shrink to less than four. They went to all the trouble of bringing in free mobile in France. Mm. And granted, all the incumbent operators then cried about their margins, mm. but they they seem quite dogmatic about this. Mm. So, and it, it, we've got to remember that this is something that is more specific to telecoms, because telecoms are so heavily regulated. And let's not forget why telecoms are heavily regulated, because the barriers to entry are incredibly high. Mm. It's not like you or I can just go, should we go and build a network tomorrow and get in the telecoms game? Mm. Uh, whereas if we wanted to create a website selling you know, stuff that we've made in, in the garage, we could. So the barriers to entry are very high, which is why it has to be so regulated. Don't forget, they're all former, originally, companies like Orange, British Telecom, and so on, Telecom Italia are all formerly state monopolies anyway, mm. which is another reason to regulate it. But, you know, if, if you'll forgive me for slightly changing the subject, a, a piece of news that was kind of breaking as, as mm. we came to this, an indication of how M&A is alive and kicking in other areas of technology is that, that Microsoft's buying LinkedIn. Quite very very breaking news it is we should have a breaking news alert yeah yeah a little (laughs) little bell Um, and uh, you know and and we were just sort of mulling this over before we started this this broadcast Mm. and my my gut feel initially is that it's a it's a social play 
You know, everyone right. knows the biggest social networks, Facebook, Twitter's pretty big, but in terms of B2B social, um, LinkedIn is well, is the big one. Reigns supreme. Yeah, and, and mm. then there are not many others that, that Microsoft could buy. So mm. you know, Microsoft's been looking to diversify. Funnily enough, you know, a bit more relevant to this sector, they rolled the dice big time with mobile mm. by buying Nokia's devices division, and that was seems to be an absolutely unqualified failure <laughs> uh, as far as acquisitions go. Yeah. But Well-trodden ground. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so they're like, right, okay, we can't do devices, that's fine. That's now been proven beyond doubt. But we do want to do software and services, and we do want to be part of mobile, but, as a, but, but selling digital products rather than hard physical products. Mm. And LinkedIn, you know, if you bear in mind that Microsoft's got Office, Microsoft is associated with productivity and the the, the workplace already, mm-hmm. and now it's going to be able to introduce a massive social element to that. So it'll be fascinating. It's very early days. It'll be fascinating to see what it thinks it can do with LinkedIn. Because imagine if LinkedIn is somehow hard coded into Office and Windows, well, then it could do all sorts of interesting stuff. But then to get back to the core topic here, it's going to run into antitrust stuff. If it starts forcing well, everyone who's bought a PC to to sign onto LinkedIn, so, and, yeah. and we know how much the European Commission and Microsoft just love each other. Yeah, they've, well. they've, they've they've got this harmonious past. Mm. So yeah, I mean that's that's going to be a really interesting development, one to definitely keep our to keep our eye on. Um, I suppose coming back to to you know telco land, there was um, some some more consolidation activity, but far 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 outside the European Commission's remit over in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so if anybody hadn't caught this, this is Sky and Vodafone New Zealand. Um, pretty much the same setup that they have in the UK, I suppose, but Sky isn't owned by, by um, News Corp or Fox. Yep. Um, in New Zealand, it's a separate entity. Uh, and they have merged to create the largest uh, multiplayer operator in the country. Um, so that's an interesting an interesting one, given how big a trend multiplayer and bundling and, and sort of general stickiness for consumers is for operators at the moment um, and uh, and yes and that one's gone through and so it's really really bizarre deal this one and you and I went over yeah. the intricacies of how it works and and for the life of me I, I couldn't figure it out for quite a long time essentially the mechanics of the deal was the Sky put a valuation of roughly 2.4 billion US dollars on Vodafone so while the release the news release the press release said that Sky has acquired this part of Vodafone the intricacies of the announcement actually said that Vodafone will maintain a 51% um, share in in this new entity, this unnamed entity, whilst also keeping the entity under the Vodafone group. So Sky's essentially offered Vodafone money and 51% of the combined entity. But it's the one doing the buying. Yes. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you know, we'd probably need to we'd probably need to be corporate accountants or lawyers or something like that to understand why they why they do it this way. Um, you know, the, the long and short of it is it's it's fifty one percent owned by Vodafone. But as you rightly say, it's it's a multiplayer. That's part of the broader trend. This is why BT bought E in the UK. Mm. Uh, operators are really struggling to to maintain ARPU and maintain decent revenues just on one service let's say mobile connectivity mm. so they're hoping that by bundling uh, an absolutely sort of uh, um, irresistible blend of not just connectivity services but also things like content mm-hmm. um, then 
then that's a way in which they can sort of compete. But obviously, that's quite expensive on on an M and A basis. Mm. It's, it, actually, as you mentioned, the the BT sort of bundling effort. I suppose it's interesting to see that they uh, have persisted with their MVNO as well quite recently yeah. uh, in launching these sort of two year you know fixed term contracts. Yeah. Um, whilst also running EE in parallel. Um, I think that's a, that's an interesting play, and we did the the numbers behind it, and we figured out that actually it's it's really cost effective, even if you're not an existing BT customer, yeah. to take them up on their two, on their two year contract offers. But they are too sort of breaking away from this subsidised handset model, so you're actually paying for the majority of the handset up front yeah. and a reduced monthly bill. So your TCO is is far lower. Yep. Um, well, that's definitely a trend, and that's you know it's, it's fueled by the same thing that operators are worrying about their margins. And they were just getting stressed at how much they were having to pay. Especially, I was once in a briefing in, in a previous life when I was an analyst when I had a head of devices for a, for a, a major uh, mobile operator complaining about how much money he spends he sends to Cupertino every quarter. So, in other words, he was talking about just subsidising iPhones. It was really right. winding him up. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they're all they're all they're all definitely moving away from that, and it's for the same reason that, that they're worried about their margins. Mm. Okay, so let's move on then to uh, the the final final part of, of this week's podcast then, and that is wearables. Okay, talking about devices. Talking about devices, yeah, with a nice smooth transition there. How about that? <laughs> um, it's almost like we planned it. So <laughs> uh, let's not give off too much <laughs> of an organised impression, Scott. Um, so, right, the final part then, wearables. Why are people still not bothered? That's what we called it. And... Uh, and this is based on research from, from Ericsson, which, where they interviewed about 5,000 smartphone users. Um, there seemed to be a level of kind of indifference towards wearable technology in general, and not just smartwatches, but, you know, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, but of, of particular interest, smartwatches seem to be pretty much, ooh, I don't know, no one seems to be that fascinated about them. Mm. Uh, and... and your old your old firm even forecasted a, a decline in Apple Watch sales this year already. We're, yeah. we're seeing a decline. So, what's going on with wearables, and why are people yet to be convinced? So, my, my feeling, and my feeling since they were launched, has been that there's basically two. Let's let's concentrate specifically on smartwatches because there is there is a decent market for fitness bands, and that will remain for those people who, who need to know how many steps they've walked and, and tell the rest of the world via Facebook about it then that will remain. But smartwatches are, are like a, a, a sort of order of magnitude, more expensive and more complicated. My view of smartwatches was always that they, they can only be one of two things, either a dumb accessory, i.e. one that doesn't have a modem in, is not connected to the, independent, independent, to the internet independently, and has to be Bluetooth linked to a, a smartphone, which you then have to carry around with you. And if they're a dumb accessory, that's fine. They're quite good for notifications. They save you the massive hassle of having to put your hand in your pocket and all that sort of thing. But... 300, 400 quid for a dumb accessory, most people aren't going to be interested. I'd rather not. Yeah. Um, and then the flip side is if they're an independent smart device, i.e. they have got a modem in them and they have got sufficient processing power to do some cool stuff, then do you leave your smartphone at home and do you just carry your smartwatch around and do you have conversations via your smartwatch, like something out of Doctor Who? <laughs> um, Night Rider. And, uh, yeah, indeed. Mm. Um, and, and my feeling is no. Mm. So I think the only future for smartwatches is for them to remain dumb accessories and for the price to come down. Well, quite, and that's and that's one of the um, 
the the biggest takeaways from this this Ericsson Mobility report when they talked about consumables is 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 the accessibility of, of, of buying one because of their price point. It just seems like like you said earlier on, are you going to be prepared to spend three or four hundred dollars or well, let's say pounds because it's the same in the UK. Yeah, dollars to pounds. Um, and and in fact, actually on that on that subject, we ran a, a sort of a mini poll in part of this uh, this article that was written. Um, which basically asked, you know, will wearables replace the smartphone? Personally, I think no. I can't see it happening. Um, and and that's sort of backed up by the by the early number of votes that we got, saying that sort of almost three quarters of people say the smartphone will will always have yeah. its place. Um, and that and that perfectly ties in with with what you were yeah. what you're alluding to just and, now. And you know, one thing that one thing that happens, you know, this is this is a bit similar to some of the other things we've spoken about in this podcast, because. You know, we can all relate to this because industry is constantly striving to find the next big thing because everyone's constantly chasing growth because everyone's worried about their jobs and they want to be able to show their boss how clever they've been. People are, are, are constantly trying to sort of reinvent the wheel, let's say. And so smartphones are huge. No one knew smartphones were going to be that huge until the iPhone came out in 2007. Mm. And then they suddenly went exponential and it's like, oh my God, you know, we've all got to be part of this. So people are looking for the next smartphone. Apple did it a bit with the, with the iPad. But then, you know, re- replacement cycles for the iPad are, are like five years plus, mm. whereas for phones, they're, they're two years. So while they sold a lot of them, now people are quite happy to sit on their iPad for several generations and well, they yeah. feel a great need to renew them. Uh, and then eventually Apple got into the, the watch gig and they I don't think they've sold that many. Not as many. I mean, they've sold a decent amount, more than anyone else, I think. Mm. But by Apple standards, not that many. It seems to be peaking, as you as you were alluding to in some reports earlier. Um, so yeah, it's just chasing that next big thing mm. is, is what. But you know that doesn't work. The market's not sympathetic mm. with your need to advance your career. The market will only buy things if it's use if they're useful and they're and oh, they're quite. appropriately priced. Mm. So, uh, why, so th- why don't we take it the other way? Why don't we go instead of having an iPhone, we went up to an iPad. Why don't we go to an iWall or an iWindow? Yeah, next? well, there's that as well. <laughs> I mean, the, I've always, ever since the first sort of proper smartphones came out, it, it was to me it was a sort of eureka moment because you've just got so much power in your pocket. It's so em- empowering for the individual, um, and nothing's going to replace that thing that you can put in your pocket. You know, and you can't put an iPad in your pocket. And the screen's too small on, on a smartwatch. So I think, sadly, for a lot of these companies, this is it. This this grey rectangle is sort of peak, mm. and it's really hard to imagine where we're going to go. I mean, Samsung's been going on for years about bendable displays and that sort of We've thing. We've heard more it, of that again recently. Yeah, 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 but that still strikes me as sort of novelty. Mm. The fact is, it's just peaked, and and I think you've for growth, you've got to look elsewhere. Mm. Yes, on that, I saw a report from a, uh, a Korean publication saying that they've mastered this weavable electronic fabric, right? which will, I suppose, take wearables to a whole new level of meaning. Mm. Um, literally part of your clothes. Li- literally woven into yeah. your clothes, yes. Um, well, quite what the functionality of, the, of that is, <laughs> is, is, is yet to be confirmed. But but yes, so so that's wearables then. And Scott, you picked up on our, our kind of uh, final, final part of the show was our kind of quirky moment of the week. Yes. And, and you saw this rather convenient app by Domino's. Yes, indeed. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just spotted that. Uh, we haven't written a story about it, but I thought it was worth mentioning just at the end of this podcast that Domino's um, has got a got a couple of bright ideas. One of them was, was reasonably sensible, which is uh, using, using the fact that all phones have got a GPS chip in them. Right. Um, to, to sort of fine-tune the timing of pizzas that have been ordered for collection 
Well, why you'd order one for collection, I don't know. Half the point is that you well. can just sit at home and wait for it, but there you go. Well, yeah, so I might as um, well make my own one. Yeah, oh, quite. Um, but if you're if you're that sort of person for whatever reason, then they uh, presumably, as long as you've got the Domino's app, it knows how close you are to the Domino's restaurant and, and only starts cooking the pizza when you're within, let's say, a 10-minute drive. Right. Um, so okay, it, so that, that's smart. You know, yeah, that yeah, makes so sense. Then, then that's super fresh. But then the other one, which is slightly more quirky, is they've, they're trying to... Um, they're trying to innovate this concept of zero-click ordering. So okay, you know, you're going to have to explain that one to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So we we understand that then a one-click is quite convenient. You know, you just press a button once, and that's all you want. But they they think even that one-click is a bit it's too much effort. One too many. Yeah, yeah. And, and zero-click ordering basically, <laughs> to cut a long story short, it as soon as you start up the Domino's app, you immediately set a sort of chain of events in motion that will result in a pizza turning up <laughs> you don't need to do anything other than just start up the app mm. and then before you know it as if by magic a pizza will turn up and obviously you know there's a danger of sort of pocket ordering pizza and that sort of thing but I just thought yeah I just thought you know as, as far as first world problems go that, that solves a big one yeah I mean what's what's the next step no think pizza he just yeah. randomly surprised by a pizza at some point yeah yeah or, or, or as we were joking one one a phone has some way of telling how drunk you are and therefore how likely you are to want a pizza at the end of the night right well I think on that on that note then uh, it's time that we went and got a pizza so um, so yes thank you very much indeed everyone for joining us today um, we will be we'll be back again very soon with a lot more news and ramble and discussion about all things going on in telecom so thanks very much for joining us we'll speak to you again soon Thanks very much for joining us. This has been A Week in Wireless, the podcast brought to you by telecoms.com, covering everything and anything in the telecoms industry. If you want to join the argument, tweet us at telecoms. Share your thoughts. We'll see you again next week. Same place, same time, same people, but even better.